try and make y'all comfortable. Welcome back to the Inside Feed. On today's episode, we are speaking with Paul Carcaterra to get his last minute draft notes ahead of Wednesday's 2020 college draft. And we have a special guest that guest yes you won't want to miss it's really good it was really good <laughs> before we get into it let's kind of explain what you're listening to i'm emma and that's lisa Hi. and this is the inside feed and we are the social media coordinators here at the premier lacrosse league and so we're going to give you the inside scoop as to what's going on what's happening conversations happening and what we're seeing as to the draft trades the all the season. behind the scenes info exactly Okay, so every episode we start with our big stories. And the big story this week and the reason for this podcast episode is the 2020 college draft happening Wednesday, May 13th. That's tomorrow. Also is Emma Adams' birthday. That's yeah, our birthday. Side note. <laughs> at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on NBC Sports Network. Mm-hmm. There's going to be two rounds, 14 players selected. Yes. Grant Amon is projected, projected to be the number one overall pick. So yes. we'll see if that happens. We had him on a previous episode to talk about his decision yeah. to forego his extra year of eligibility at Penn State. And so if you haven't listened to that episode, it's a really great episode. And you kind of get some insight as to his mindset coming into this draft. He's all the talk this draft and he's you know. a great human being too. he is he was <laughs> so nice <laughs> i mean he just like gets it yeah and so i think you know you'll hear more when we have kark on later but kark gives a great explanation as to why grant would be a great fit for the archers so we'll see yeah i cannot wait to see if he gets drafted by the archers him play alongside marcus and will because I, I feel like they just seem like they have very similar playing styles right so i feel like that would be such a dynamic trio i'm excited to see what the teams go for because mm-hmm. last year the rookies had such an impact on these rosters yep. i mean you think about timmy troutner was huge for the redwoods and he won rookie of the year i mean mm-hmm. that guy was lights out and he was the last one of the last picks second or third rounder yeah Yeah. and he was the only goalie picked up so it's kind of like who is going to be that timmy troutner of this draft yeah and it'll be interesting to see too how the championship series changes uh coaches selections if at all because now it's sort of like okay we need a draft for this sort of marathon that we're going to be having for three weeks instead of a you know three month long season so i'm sure that adjust coaches decisions that's a great point because you just don't know where they're going to bulk up roster wise right you got to prepare for injuries over those three weeks right so there's a lot to take into it so i'm interested in seeing if the draft order doesn't go as we sort of expected to because of that reason right i mean you think of like the guys we got last year we got timmy we got Ryder, we got connor farrell jack rowlett jack rowlett cade noah richard yeah i mean stacked chris sabia ryan conrad i mean it's just like you think of them and what they did last year i'm just so excited to see who the guys are yeah and then to for all of us to go to to training camp and see and see how it goes this season because even like you and i when we were talking about the miles and salcedo trade we talked about how we won't really know who won that trade until after the season season. right until they're implemented i feel like this that's this way it's like you don't know who really wins drafts until you see Mm -hmm. kind of for sure what they do well let's not wait any longer let's go to the expert himself paul carcaterra he's going to break down 
all of the draft prospects, what teams need, where he could see certain guys fitting. Mm -hmm. Um, So here is Paul Karkatera. Please welcome to the show ESPN lacrosse analyst Paul Karkatera. Woo! (laughs) I get to see you guys. I know, finally. How's it going over there? It's good. Uh, I was telling you guys offline, I have two children, 12 and 10, and homeschooling is an absolute nightmare. I'm like waving the white flag. Surrender. (laughs) I'm done. The draft is going down Wednesday, 7 p.m. Eastern on NBCSN. So what better guy to go to than you to talk about kind of what these guys are, the prospects we have. And so how we're going to approach this is we will go through the top three picks, what these teams need, and then we'll go to you to kind of who you think will fill the void. Does that sound good? Sounds awesome. Fire away. Let's go. Let's start with the number one pick is the Archers. They need an attackman behind the cage that's kind of going to be that dodging guy for them. All right, let's just hear it. Who do you think it is? Hello. (laughs) A couple months ago, I actually had Michael Sowers, the Princeton star, as the number one player from a prospect standpoint for PLL just because of his dodging ability and he's an amazing passer as well. But I was actually conflicted even at that time with Sowers and Grant Amet, the Penn State star who shattered every Big Ten record you could think of just because of like the pieces to the puzzle in regards to the archers like they have an awesome righty wing guy in Marcus Holman and they have a lefty like carbon copy guy in Will Manny stylistically they're different but they occupy a lot of the same areas just on other sides of the field and if you can get a dynamite passer a guy who could throw the through pass, and what I mean by seeing the next level of the defense and get that cross-field pass when you're driving from behind to either Holman or Manny, you're in good shape. And Grant Amen happens to be one of the top two or three through passers I've ever seen in my life. The other one is actually playing in the PLL and Tom Schreiber. Guys who can fade away, throw that pass across their body diagonally, uh, through sticks, through pressure. So, As much as Sowers might have been a little bit more talented in terms of everything that he does because he's so dynamic in terms of the point of attack, Grant Amen actually fits the Archers better the more I think about it. And Will Manny and Marcus Holman should be tickled pink because they're going to have a passer that just gives them the ball every single time in a shooting position. It's a lot different when you have a guy who can slice and dice and feed a ball to you, you catch it across your body and you throw it. But if you look what he's done in college, Grant Amen has been one of the best passers of all time. I mean, he almost broke the century mark last year at Penn State for 100 assists in a season. He missed a couple of games. That's an NCAA record. So from a passing perspective, this guy is 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 one of the best passers I've ever seen in college. And he's tailor-made not only for the PLL because he loves the game and his personality and he wants to be lax, lax, lax. But he's tailor-made for this Archer's offense. Last season, they lost so many one-point games. Do you think he could be that missing piece that helps them fix that issue? Yes, yes, yes. I mean, if you look at it, too, Holman and Manny had big numbers last year. Mm -hmm. And I thought Cuccinello did a really nice job in terms of being a battering ram and getting to the cage. But he's not a pass-first guy. If you put a pass-first guy with Manny and Holman – their numbers skyrocket even more. And these are top 10 scores without a real true passer. So you put a true passer in the mix, 
yeah, those one goal games, throw them out the window. Those are W's. Let's go on to the Atlas. Atlas needs help on defense, off ball in a defensive midi. Who do you have for them? Well, look, I think Atlas is interesting too because with Rob Pinnell running X and all the attention that he's getting, I'm a little conflicted here with this pick. I think Brian Costabile is unequivocally the number two guy in this draft from a talent standpoint. But I think Michael Krause is a guy you have to look at for the Atlas. And I tell you why, because if you have Ryan Brown, I know everyone talks about Ryan Brown being the best shooter in the world. He's the best shooter I've ever seen. And he can play right, he can play left, but he's a true righty. Like let this guy, just because he's such a good lefty shooter, doesn't mean he should be playing on the left side. He happens to be the best shooter in the universe, maybe the history of the universe on the right side. So I feel like if you have Pinnell at X and you have Ryan Brown on the right wing, just stretching a defense, throwing bombs, I kind of like Michael Krause as a, as a chameleon on the left side. You have Eric Law, you have Cloutier, you have all those guys that can, can fit spots. But at the end of the day, I think Eric Law operates more behind and he's kind of a hybrid between like space-wise between Pinnell and Ryan Brown, where I think Michael Krause knows his role on the left side. And if you look at his stats in, in college, he could do everything. He's only one of four players in Virginia history to have 100 goals, 100 assists. If you want him to pass, he'll pass. If Pinnell's having a tough time in a matchup, he can go one-on-one and dodge. So there's so many things that Michael Krause can do. So I think that's going to be a tough pick uh, for the Atlas because I think everyone thinks Costabile's the second-best player. Just because he's the second-best player doesn't mean he's the second-best fit in the draft. Uh, you, you have to look at needs. And I think Michael Krause might be a really, really strong player for the Atlas because I think Rob Pinnell being a Dodger and then you throw another Dodger in Krause, guys who can dodge, pass, shoot, score, do all those things, like Pinnell and like Krause, you put a lot of pressure on an opposing defense. Um, but Costabile is going to be a tough guy to, to say no to. Um, the one thing about Costabile too, is, is, is why I don't know if Atlas is necessarily the right spot. He plays a lot like Connor Busick. So if you have Connor Busick already, they're almost like carbon copies. That, that's the person that I kind of equate Costabile to in the PLL is a guy like Connor Busick. So you're almost throwing in two Connor Busicks, guys who can shoot from the outside on poor approaches. They break defenses down. But I think at the end of the day, this is a really, really tough call for Ben Rubio in his first year in the PLL. He's a Virginia guy, too. I'm sure he loves the Cavaliers. I wouldn't be shocked if Michael Krause goes, too. Either way, it's going to be a really tough decision for Rubio because yeah. they already have so many weapons on that team. So it's like, who do you add to, to create the right mix? Yeah, and, and you know, you, you got to think too, from a midfield standpoint, Atlas Atlas has those those Dodgers and shooters with with Connor Busick and Paul Rabel. I, I just feel like Costabile would put a lot of pressure on an opposing defense if you rolled him out with Rabel and with Busick. But I, I just think that left spot, you, you can have a lot of value there with Michael Krause just because he's done so many things. For sure. Last one, Water Dogs. They have one face-off men right now, one goalie, and they kind of need that consistent offensive threat that can kind of comp- complement everyone else. What would you say is for them at number three? You know, I think the scenarios for the Water Dogs would be as follows. I think if Costabile's left at, at number three, say the Atlas take Krause, I, I think the Water Dogs have to take Costabile because they have a lot of guys on that offense. Um, that, that do 
do a lot of things tighter to the cage. You know, Ben Reeves, Kieran McCardle, uh, Wes Berg, those are guys who can beat their guy one-on-one, but a lot of times they do that closer to the cage. I mean, Reeves is a speed dodger who will beat you out in space, but he finishes in tight. Um, you know, Wesley Berg's been a guy that's played a ton of box lacrosse. He's played attack in his life. He's not like that traditional midi. I think if you have Brian Costabile sitting there at three, just say the Atlas take Michael Cross, you have to take Costabile in my mind. But if you are the water dogs and if Costabile goes two, I think Krause actually drops because you have some lefties. You have McCardle with the left hand. You have Ben Reeves already. So why would you just take the third best player on the board when you have guys that fit those molds already? So to me, if Costabile goes two to the Atlas, if I'm Andy Copeland and the Water Dogs, I say no to Michael Krause and I draft Peyton Smith, who happens to be the face-off guy at Amerits. You know, he's the type of kid who's got a chip on his shoulder. He's from the state of North Carolina, didn't get recruited by a lot of big schools, goes to Marist. Mows the competition there, well over 60% at the faceoff. In high school, he was close to 80%. This is a guy that I think has a lot to prove. Um, people might think, you know, the Water Dogs would be crazy if they went with a faceoff guy who's who's not that guy named T.D. Erland or Trevor Baptiste or, or plays in the ACC or the Big Ten or the Ivy. But, I mean, if things don't work out at the X and they're really not proving the water dogs there at the PLL level and just say something happens, right, and you don't have that second option because, you know, A, you can't hold up against the competition of the Trevor Baptiste of the world and the, and the Nardellas. But if there's an injury, I mean, the wheels will completely fall off the bus. After talking about all of those guys, is there anyone else that you kind of think that we need to focus on or that is honestly going to be a gem that, is going to go later, but we can't deny. Yeah. You know, I, I think depending on the offense, like if, if, if a coach wants an interior game uh, with, with an attackman who finishes, Matt Gaudet is, is a viable option. I mean, he's a kid in 2018 when Yale won the national title, he was the MVP of the tournament. So he's played in big games. He's from Canada and plays a ton of box lacrosse. He's got ice in his veins. He's tough as nails, almost to a fault. I mean, you could beat this guy silly. And he just keeps getting up. So you you wonder, is the guy hurt? You know, what's going on with this guy? He's that tough. But I think from an inside perspective, if you put him back, maybe with the water dogs, um, not necessarily at, at, at three, but on the back end in the, in the second round, if he's sitting around there, I mean, that, that's a really nice reunion with Ben Reeves, who's played with him and loves passing the ball to Matt Gaudet. I just feel like he has to fit an offense that wants an inside perimeter game. He probably wouldn't fit, like, for example, the Atlas as well. When you have perimeter guys like Ryan Brown and Pinnell behind, you know, you, you want your, your lefty wing presence in some way, shape, or form. You probably won't put a crease guy on, on, on that team. Uh, but I feel if, if a team is committed to an inside game, you have to look at Matt Gaudet because he's automatic inside. Uh, he's so strong in terms of just his, his overall awareness around the cage uh, and finishes everything right-handed. He's not an overly flashy guy, but he scores highlight real goals. And what I mean by that is some guys, you know, whip their sticks all around and have these crazy fakes, you know, like a Connor Fields. He's a little bit more structural in terms of just just to the, the functionality of his stick work. It's tight to his ears, but he throws behind the backs one-handers and does all those things. Matt Gaudet's an interesting guy. And then defensively, Nick Mellon from Syracuse is another defender. He's only 5'9", 
doesn't pass the eyeball test, you know, in other ways than Ivanchik, who, you know, you might not think passes the eyeball test as well. Uh, but he guards shorter, quicker attackmen as, as well as anyone in college lacrosse the last few years. He struggles, though, with bigger matchups. Like Pat Spencer gave it to him in the, uh, in the first round of the playoffs a year ago. But I think Mellon is, is an interesting guy. I know you and I have talked about this before, but let's talk about how you say frequently how guys game translating to the professional level. What does that mean when you say that? You know, everyone talks about the jump from high school to college, right? And, and like what makes the difference? And the difference is making adjustments and having like a, a quick mind lacrosse wise where you do almost things with a sixth sense and you're not thinking about it. It just comes naturally. Well, the jump from college to PLL, you could argue, is just as steep. So I think it's the guy who's a complete lax rat, who understands the game, who dissects the game, who watches film, knows his opponent, his opponent's tendencies, is fully entrenched in his team's schemes, that can just run on the field, and, and all that stuff happens naturally. If you show up in the PLL without scouting your opponent, without scouting yourself in terms of what's your responsibility with your own team, you'll get exposed. And, and I think the quick thinkers, and if you look at the guys who are who are doing great things uh, in, in, in the PLL, a lot of them like are doing lacrosse 365 days a year. You look at the lacrosse IQ of guys like Will Manny and, uh, and Marcus Holman and Ryan Brown. And these guys, these guys are coaches too in the offseason. So they're thinking the game all the time. So, you know, they probably sit down and they probably visualize and, you know, high-end athletes meditate, visualize, see things before they actually happen. So to me, you have to be all in. If, if you try to ham and egg it in professional lacrosse, it might have worked, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago where, you know, you're, you're shuffling jobs and doing other things and you're squeezing in lacrosse. Lacrosse will squeeze you out if you have that mindset now. Do you think with the announcement of this tournament, it will affect teams and how they approach this draft? You know, I, I don't I don't think so. I, I think the, the bigger stress and conflict is finding chemistry during the shortened training camp. I mean, training camp might end up being as, as much time as it's been in the past, but then you're jumping right into games. You don't even have time to talk about things. Like, you know, in a regular season, you, you know, your training camp's in May, and then you have a, a few weeks between, and you guys are Zooming and looking at schemes. Well, your schemes and your Zooming is your first game. Right, you're going from training camp right into games. That's where I see the challenges. I don't see it affecting the draft because your needs are your needs, right? And you have to go out and you got to find those guys. To me, those college players, whether it's a it's a longer season or or a shortened season in a tournament style like this, um, they're going to have to come in. And I think the biggest difference for them is their heads are going to spin. A, they're going to have to keep up with the speed of the game, um, but. But B, they're going to have to get acclimated in, in, into a team that maybe has chemistry. Outside of the water dogs, every team has chemistry already. So that would be my biggest concern as a rookie. Like, how am I going to fit into this team? It's, it's not who's going to draft me, but it's actually the other side of things. How am I going to fit into this team? How is the team going to embrace me? How assertive am I going to be off the bat? Like, if you're Grant Amet, like, let's be honest. There might be guys who have – more accolades than him, obviously, in the professional ranks, him being a rookie. But if you really want that offense to flourish, you've got to hand him the keys day one because he's an ex-attackman, which is a quarterback or a point guard. And you have to tell this kid, and you have to give him all the confidence in the world to 
to say to him, hey, look, you are the guy running our offense. We have all the faith in the world in you. You can make mistakes, but if you just roll Grant out there and you you wait for him to figure it out, like he's not going to be as assertive. He's going to say like, oh, I, you know, am I stepping on Will's area? Like, should I say something here? Or Marcus is over there? Like, to me, the rookies have to have the right mindset, but the coaches have to employ that mindset right off the bat and give these guys confidence because there's there's no time for transition. You know, last year you could you could be week one and in, in, in Gillette and things don't work well and you know you could talk for seven days before you face off again um, at Red Bull Stadium. That's not the case anymore. Like it, it, the, the movement of all of this is too fast to 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 have time. Do you think Andy Copeland has a little bit more of a difficult task here in drafting someone? Because like you said, all these teams have chemistry. They sort of know how other guys operate. So for people like Atlas, it's easier to pick like who you need to slot in certain positions. Where Water Dogs, while they all have played in the league, they haven't played together. So Copeland doesn't really know like who's going to mesh well with one another. Yeah, I think that's a great question, Lisa. And, and I'll tell you why. It's because when you, when you have a team that's established – so I look at, like, first-year coaches. You look at Copeland and then take Ben Rubior, for example. Ben Rubior can lean on his players over the course of the last few months and, and, and now from, from, you know, May to July on what worked. And he can watch film. And those guys lived and breathed it together. So at least he can fall back and, and have those conversations. Andy Copeland doesn't have that ability because guys are playing on other teams. Now he brings in some players. So for me um, – Andy Copeland has a really, really tough job because he has to have a scheme and he has to be so confident in what he's doing. If things don't work out well in, in game one or two, he can't second guess himself or, or else they're just going to have a tremendous amount of difficulty because they don't have the time to adjust. Like the luxury of, of, of weeks at a time to talk through things and to have Zoom calls or have guys – you know, sit down and break down film. This is this is like a crash course. I, I think the the best thing Andy Copeland could do would be to lean on like a guy like John Donowski, who coached Team USA, who played in a similar tournament style, right? When they were over in Netanya, Israel in 2018. When I was over there, like it was the same kind of thing. Like guys were playing games every day. Like you got to figure out when is it time to rest? When is it time to spend more time strategizing and, and breaking down film? Like you, you have to have you have to have a plan based on how short these turnarounds are. So if I'm Andy Copeland, I'm talking to guys who played in the World Games in 2018, what worked, what didn't work. I'm talking to John Donowski. I'm calling Seth Tierney, who's an assistant, and Joe Amplo, who's an assistant, and I'm asking them questions in regards to, like, if, if you had to do Natanya again, like, what would you do the same? What would you do different? Because he doesn't have the luxury of – of a season to, to fall back on in regards to his conversations with players who played on that team. What is your uh, way too early prediction for rookie of the year? I know it's, it, it, it sounds kind of cheesy because he's the, the number one guy, but I just feel like he, he fits like a glove with this offense and the archers. It's Grant Ament. Um, and, and people, people will get to know Grant a lot more. I, I know Grant pretty well just over my time and, and covering him and building a relationship. One, he's an absolute gem of a kid. Like he's, He's happy all the time, loves lacrosse, um, studies it, wants to make it his life. I mean, here's a kid who could have gone back to, to Penn State for a sixth year, but he just wants to get his life going. And it's not like he 
you know, he's taking a job on Wall Street. He wants to get his life going in terms of the next chapter in lacrosse. So he's a guy that I think just in terms of fit with the archers, it's their personality. Um, also, he's a tough-minded kid. Like we talked earlier about the fact of, of giving him the keys to the offense and letting him go. Like if, if someone doesn't tell Grant, he, he will take it eventually. Like my biggest concern is if, if he's in, in a locker room and, you know, there's a lot of big personalities who don't turn to him, it might take longer. But if you, if you just give Grant a little bit and say to him, like, hey, we need you here, like he's going to take it and run. He's not going to second guess. I just think that that team needs to, to be really assertive in just in, in making that message clear to him right off the bat just because he is a rookie. Because every team he's been on, he's been the quarterback, the leader. He's been the vocal kind of soundboard for, for teammates. He, he's, a, he's a wonderful kid, great personality, and, and, and I think he, he, he fits like a glove with this Archer's offense. Okay, this is a new segment that we like to call Guess, guess That Guess. We're going to give you three <laughs> hints as to who this person is, and we're going to see if you can guess it. We're going to go hint by hint this time, because last time... I gave it away. It was way too easy. <laughs> okay. okay. Are you ready, Card? Be tough. Be very hard on me. I'm trying. I tried. Yeah. Okay. So this person is known for his flair. His flair. All right. That doesn't really narrow things down. I know like uh, hundreds of saying. people are known for their flair. <laughs> known for his flair. Okay. He, his new quarantine hobby is Photoshop. Photoshop. Jeez. He was he was a rookie. My daughter photoshops. <laughs> She's 10. <laughs> and he was a rookie last year. He was a rookie last year. Okay. <laughs> the first Jeez. hint should help. Now that you know the last hint. Oh, uh, let's see here. Wait, so, so why should the first hint help the last hint? So he's got some flair, and he was a rookie last rookie. year. What rookie is a little sassy? Little flair. <laughs> oh, I, I know. He, I pieced this all together. He used his dad's name, Fred, <laughs> who's a legend. It's Ryder Garnsey. <laughs> is that right? Yes. Ah! <laughs> Yeah, I'm actually on my dad's computer right now, so that's why. Yeah, well, your your dad, your dad's friend, isn't he? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, because I remember you you posted something recently. Why well, I've exchanged uh, texts with with Fred in the past, who's a wonderful soul. But you also posted something recently on your Instagram about Fred, didn't you? Yeah, he got the uh, yearbook every year. The some member of the faculty at uh, Brewster where he works gets dedicated the yearbook and this year is him he's pretty wow. pumped though because uh there's no commencement obviously and every year whoever gets you know this honor has to read all the names at commencement and there's a lot of foreign people at brewster and he would struggle horribly with all those names so, he's, he <laughs> so it worked out well for him yeah perfect timing well, well Ryder, Ryder is uh is is you know, super fortunate too. I've, I've actually had the opportunity to exchange some, some texts with Fred and his mom too. And, you know, I, I think, you know, we talk about like Grant Amen loving the sport. Ryder's like that too, man. That's why I love spending time with Ryder. And a couple of months ago, I was doing a game in, in Notre Dame and 
I just pinged him and we went to an empty uh, indoor facility on campus and crushed a good workout. Well, I didn't work out. I worked him out. I just love his, I love his, uh, his passion for the sport. And he's been a kid since high school. I, I watched him play when he was in ninth grade and 10th grade in the summertime. And just, he was a different kind of player, man. So I'm glad I got this right though. <laughs> We've heard from writer's perspective of, you know, the story that you contacted Paul to kind of help and get him into the league. Let's hear it from your perspective as to what that was, that conversation that you had to kind of ultimately help Ryder get to the PLL. Yeah, you know, for me, it was, it was always just about the, the match and the ability to, to play in this kind of system. You know, when you play in high school, you play in a system. And when you play in college, a lot of times, I don't want to say you're handcuffed, but the, the true style in the way that you play sometimes doesn't always see its head, right? And I felt like Ryder was the kind of player that was, was tailor-made for the, for the PLL. Just, just his expressive ability with the stick in his hand, his creativity, just off the charts. But he was in a really tough spot last year because, you know, he was sitting there waiting to see if, if he was going to have another year of eligibility. So he, he missed all the professional draft opportunities. So he wasn't even a draft-eligible prospect until, like, a week before – he was reinstated. Then he figured out that he wanted to play. He was going to forego the, the opportunity to have another year because he would have to roll the dice because if he didn't play, it wasn't guaranteed. So he felt like he wanted to play with his, his classmates and, and give it a run. And he goes into the first round game against Johns Hopkins. And once he gets on the field, you, you just know it's going to be fireworks. And because the kid has practiced all season, hasn't played a game, missed like 14, 15 games with his team did everything he had to do in terms of being the best practice player, giving the scout team um, every great look they needed because he loves the sport of lacrosse. And I'll never forget, uh, I, I saw him at the quarterfinals against Duke and they lost in overtime. It, it, was, it was a crushing, uh, crushing defeat for a kid who only played two games to use an entire year of eligibility. He's, he's not in any uh, draft eligible positions for professional lacrosse. I remember talking to him right after the game. Ryder, did I talk to you after the game or did I, did I ping you on a DM? It was uh, after our practice the day before. Yeah, I kind of put in his ear and just said, hey, man, whenever the season's over, whether it's tomorrow, hopefully it's in two weeks, if you guys win a national championship, I want to talk to you because I just knew that he was going to get uh, overlooked. He was going to fall through the cracks just because of the predicament he was in. And it would have been uh, a, a tough pill, A, for him to swallow, but the league would have lost out big time. I mean, I'll ask you two, Emma and Lisa, imagine PLL last year without a rookie like Ryder Garzi. It's, it's a different atmosphere. It's a different feel. Mm -hmm. The fans lose out. Uh, little kids' dreams in terms of their backyards are limited because they're not going to try things and, they're not going to be as expressive because they're not seeing a guy like that. When you watch a player like Ryder, it's different than, you know, just any old player. Like Ryder could have four goals and two assists in a game, and another player could have the same exact stat line, but there's no way a younger kid has the juice to be great uh, watching one guy play that plays like a traditional style as opposed to, to Ryder Garns. He goes in his backyard and he tries all those things because Ryder takes chances. Ryder's expressive. 
and he's super, super creative. So he gives juice to the next generation. He's that kind of player. So I just felt like it was, it was my duty being involved in the sport. And I want to see the game grow to the highest of its ability. I, I want players to have fun. I want young kids. I mean, I, I have a 10-year-old daughter. I, I teach her how to play the game like, like Ryder would play. I want her to play that way. Ryder, you know Brian Costville very well. He's about to go into this draft. What can you say about him and his potential? He uh, sold him out on Twitter. I know. I saw that. <laughs> yeah. Hey, why don't you start with that first, Ryder? T- tell everybody uh, what you tweeted. So, so, uh, Character uh, issues. <laughs> I was replying. Who was I replying to? Was I replying to you? I, I, you might have been, but I, I know it's the exact opposite of what you tweeted. I know how you feel about somebody it. Somebody said something opposite. about how Brian, uh, you know, finished up in Notre Dame, obviously an awesome career. I was going to the, the pros and how he was going to be a high draft pick. And I just tweeted about how he has uh, big-time character issues. And if I was a coach or GM in the top five, I wouldn't even think about picking him. We have the <laughs> pick, so. So you're, you're scheming. Yeah. was really what you were doing there. I would love for Brian to fall down to us. I'm not sure that's going to happen. Um, no way. No way. Yeah, probably not. But <laughs> as far as the way that he plays um, and the type of person that he is, he came in to school, um, not like a nobody recruit, but he like his freshman fall, he was he was okay. He was solid. He was playing some D-Midi, um, and he just worked his ass off for four years, frankly. But from the time he stepped on the field in the fall until the first game we had that year, which was in Dallas against Georgetown, he got so much better that he was on the first line at that point, and he scored in the first game. And he didn't stop getting better for four years. And I think that that's, you know, obviously his senior season was cut short, so that stinks. We didn't get to see the final culmination of his Notre Dame career. Um, But there's no doubt in my mind that he's just going to continue to get better and be you know, even better than he was last year in the pros. All right. Well, thank you, Paul. Thank you, Ryder. Thank you guys for having me. We're, are we doing this? Are we doing this again next Friday? I feel like I walked in and just got complimented for like 15 minutes. So thanks, we can, if you want to, every Friday, we'll put it on the calendar, compliment Ryder. Yeah. <laughs> you guys, thanks. Before we get into Hypothetically Speaking, this podcast is brought to you by our incredible friends at Ticketmaster, the official presenting sponsor of the championship series. Ticketmaster has all of your needs when it comes to concerts, sporting events, arts and theater, and more. To check out everything they have to offer, head to Ticketmaster.com or open up the Ticketmaster app. I know Mother's Day just happened the other day. Father's Day is up next. Never too early to start looking for a present for your dad. Ticketmaster is a great place to find that. Again, head to Ticketmaster.com or open up the Ticketmaster app. Now let's get into hypothetically speaking. Yes, where we kind of debate topics or we stretch our creative minds as to like where these pros could end up in weird scenarios. Yeah. But today we are keeping it not so weird and draft centric (laughs) as this week's hypothetically speaking is knowing what we know about the 2019 draft class, who would you have taken number one overall? So one of our writers, Jake Watts, actually just released an article today about his redraft order and reasoning behind it. Mm -hmm. So go check that out on Mm premierlacrosseleague.com. If I had to redraft, I would take Tim Troutner number one overall because I feel like the goalie position is such a coveted position. And to find someone who's young like Timmy 
and can play like him. I mean, he led the Redwoods to a championship in his first professional season, which is insane. Mm -hmm. Um, I think he's someone that's going to have a long career with the Redwoods. So I would go with Timmy number one overall. And he was rookie of the year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Timmy. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry, Timmy. No, but it's not against Timmy. It's the fact that, like, the first pick last year was the Archers, and, like, they have two goalies, so, like, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't. That's true. I wouldn't do that. They, so they got Pat Spencer. Pat Spencer is obviously doing his, like, basketball Mm -hmm. thing, so the one rookie that really played for them was Curtis Corley. So I thought about that, and then I thought about, well, they're looking for a dodging presence you know who could that be so I have two options it's Ryder Garnsey or Johnny Serdic two solid choices right so with Ryder I think he could just implement himself well really into Manny and Marcus Mm -hmm. and I think that could just be like the trio yeah and it could have happened last like last year right and then with Johnny I think Johnny is a lot like and could have fit really well with Matt McMahon and Jackson Place. He's kind of like mm-hmm. that silent assassin defenseman. Yeah. Um, he's not like he is loud when he needs to be. And he is like, you know, really dominant on the field. But he is super like level headed, mm-hmm. like doesn't get too high, doesn't get too low. Yeah. Just like them. And so I think he could have been super, super dominant for them. So it's probably either you could have gone either way. Those are two good choices. Yeah, but yeah, it's crazy. Well, what could have been? I know. Twenty twenty <laughs> in twenty twenty. Yes. All right, let's get into that's speed boy. That's speed boy. This week it is twenty nineteen rookie class specific. During the segment, Emma will have fifty two seconds to answer as many interesting stats, fun facts. Really anything I can ask her about are players. This week, like I said, is 2019 rookie class specific. If she gets it correct, she'll hear this sound. And if she gets it wrong, she'll hear this sound. Are you ready? ready? Go. Where did Jack Rowlett attend college? UNC. True or false, Connor Farrell's face-off percentage was above 50% during the regular season. False. How many points did Ryder Garnsey have during the regular season? Points? Yeah. Regular season. 31. What number is Tim Troutner? Ooh. 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 It's two digits. Uh, It's not two digits. <laughs> one. <laughs> oh, no. Who did Atlas select with the second pick in the 2019 draft? Ryan Conrad. What number is Curtis Corley? Ooh. This is two digits. Uh, 30? Oh. True or false, Noah Richard had a tomb bomb during the regular season. True. Where's Johnny Serdick's hometown? Oh, Virginia. Somewhere in Virginia. Close. Maryland. Oh, no. Odenton, Maryland, which is pretty close to Virginia. Dang it. I didn't realize he was a Maryland boy. I could have sworn. He's a DeMatha grad like Paul. Oh, I knew that. Jack Rowlett went to UNC, UNC. correct? Connor Farrell's face-off percentage was above 50%. 54.5% to be exact. Sorry, Connor, if you're Uh, listening. Ryder had 24 (laughs) points. Timmy is zero. Oh I, oh, I knew that. That's zero is a hard one because you never think that. It's yeah. Like uh, you got Ryan Conrad correct. Curtis Curley is 42. Never would have guessed that. I literally just looked him up too. 
no richard had a two bomb he was one for one yeah i knew that 100 percent. yep according to my math <laughs> and john johnny zerdick is from odenton maryland oh man okay that is our show this week whoa hope you guys enjoyed it was a good one yeah lots well, of information i feel like it was a good one but <laughs> yeah me too <laughs> sort of biased we'll talk to you all next tuesday before we go make sure you subscribe on apple podcasts and spotify and please leave us a review make sure you follow us at the inside feed on twitter and instagram and at lisa redmond 29 and at emma dams on ig emma's 25th birthday is tomorrow i will be 25 okay bye guys bye for the record i'm done trying to make y'all comfortable 